like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Early Childhood Nerd. I forgot the name of my podcast again. That is happening more and more regularly. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Uh, Today, I've got Mike Huber and Richard Cohn. And as Richard just said, it's going to be like herding cats. (laughs) So you can say hello if you want to say hello. 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 Okay, perfect. Um, And so we're going to do an episode that I imagine is going to be mostly you two. And I'm just here giggling um, or nodding or saying, yeah. Um, We're going to talk about men in early childhood. That's sort of the the very narrow, I think, description of what we're going to talk about. That's maybe where this started. Um, But we're going to talk about, um, uh, I I imagine you both are going to talk about your experiences and other things maybe so um, i noticed that you chose two men for this podcast it kind of feels like reverse sexism or something isn't that a thing yeah absolutely i feel very i don't know yeah well um it's my show richard okay all right so i i uh demean who i choose (laughs) (laughs) okay so the quote that we're going to start with is from a book called beyond quality in early childhood education and care languages of evaluation by gunilla dahlberg peter moss and alan pence and this comes from a chapter where they're discussing constructing the early childhood institution what do we think they are for and the quote is um, early childhood institutions help to reproduce cultural values concerning gender the highly gendered nature of the workforce in early childhood institutions and the lack of gender awareness in most pedagogical work produces a powerful discourse for children and indeed adults about appropriate gender roles and relationships. So I think this this all sort of started with um, an article that we had all seen or we're all talking about um, lamenting the lack of um, men working in early childhood programs. And I know you two had a conversation without me um, and it sort of evolved a bit from the original idea. So I'm going to just let each of you talk about what you want to talk about and I'll chime in. Well, we mainly talked about you, Heather. We never really got around <laughs> to talking about the topic. Yeah, oh, oh, right, the article. Right, right, Mike. Um, no, I think I'll just, I want to just kind of say one opener and then I really want to hand it over to Mike, which is um, we really like this topic because, well, I'll just say for me, I, I really, the phrase that stood out for me was the phrase gender awareness and how sort of vague and amorphous that is and open for many different definitions. And yet it really speaks to what Mike and I, the, the, the gist of our conversation. And so maybe Mike, you could start by helping increase people's gender awareness, whatever that might mean. Yeah, um, and it's funny because that was the first word I wrote down while Heather was talking. Like, <laughs> like gender awareness, that's exactly it. Yeah, because I feel like people have 
a notion that, well, that there's a binary, that I'll start with that word, right? There are men and there are women. Um, and even equating that with sex, and there's either XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes, and, and then say it's science. And of course it's not, mm -hmm. right? So I'll, I'll talk about sex first. So sex being the physical or biological characteristics. There's one in, oh, I have the page number. So I'm using my uh, Supporting Gender Diversity in Early Childhood Classrooms <laughs> book as my reference, because it is- very distracted by your nail polish. Oh, it's uh, the free sample I got for- uh, For your color street? For color street, Oh, you street, got yeah. your sample? I haven't gotten mine yet. No, so right before, <laughs> two hours before that email or whatever from Heather, a teacher that I support, uh, support, a teacher that I supervise <laughs> said, yeah, you're oh, um, you know what? I've been doing, uh, was it street color or whatever? And color street. Said, Here's, color street. Here's some free samples. And then uh, I got that invite. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll find out more. And get um, more free samples. And more free samples. So the hard part is I only have two <laughs> done on this. On this you look cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's all I was going for. <laughs> um, Sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. What was I saying? Oh, so roughly one in 1,700 kids, uh, sorry, people, humans, don't have XX or XY chromosomes. There are, right. Some have X, some have XXX, some have XXY, some have XYY. So... And even the term sex chromosomes is not a scientific term. That was a, you know, mainstream magazines trying to describe when they discovered the XX or the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. Right. And there's even in the paper, it said it is important not to refer to these as sex chromosomes because we don't know exactly what they, um, I don't know, genetic terminology. We don't know what things they may have the body do. Right. And yet, of course, by, you know, the late 60s, everyone in school learns that there's XX chromosomes, there's XY chromosomes, and that tells you if you're a boy or a girl. So it was never science. It was textbooks trying to simplify things for high school students. <laughs> and, that, and then we base everything on it, NACI included, and they're what they describe as gender identity, or, you know, kids figure out that they're a boy at the age of three or figure out they're a girl at the age of three. And then at four, they figure out that they're going to be a man. If they're a boy, they'll be a man. If they're a girl, they'll be a woman. And, um, and they haven't updated that since. And of course, science has figured out lots of things. Your hormonal balance is different and doesn't always correspond to um, the majority of people in terms of what your chromosome makeup is, your genetic, your genitalia doesn't necessarily correspond to your chromosomes or to your hormones. Um, there's lots of different things going on at once. And that's just sex. And then gender. Um, um, wait, before we get to that, can I ask you a question? Mike? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, you mentioned that that sentence from NAEYC. And, yeah. and how they framed it. So I guess yes. my question to you, that, that children come to understand their gender at age three or four, something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So I guess, so my question to you is, if you had the opportunity to rewrite that sentence for our field, what would be a better way of saying it? What do they discover First of at all, age three or four? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I would never want to be the one person, you know, cis male, writing that sentence. Yeah, I'm just curious for your <laughs> But yeah, but if I was given the power and, you know, being a white cis male, I probably should have that power just to- <laughs> That was a joke. Perpetuate. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, so if we were all in a meeting together, Mike, how would you mansplain this to us? Okay, there we go. Thank you. Now you're, you're speaking my language. Well, Heather, what you don't understand <laughs> is that Gender identity is a much more complex thing. And that children begin to understand gender um, as soon as they begin to understand the difference between their body and someone else's or, and the rest of the world. Right. And it's a continuum and it keeps evolving. For many people, what they've learned at three, everything else that happens from that or what, at the age of two, everything else builds off of that, seems to explain it. But for some people, it doesn't. And for some people at you know, the age of 70, they're still realizing new things about themselves. 
and that it's always a fluid thing. Gender is always a fluid thing and it's a social construct. <laughs> Getting nerdy here. <laughs> that well, to explain how someone feels and they can only use the language that exists at the time. So people my age often are like, what are these kids doing with, you know, 500 different identities? You know, there can only be four. Um, and the generation before me is there can only be two. And, you know, it keeps going. But the truth is, is those are just words and gender or and social constructs to explain what's happening. And in a human being, it's, there's a million things going on. The same way when we, if we just say the word toddler and mean something, anyone who's worked with toddlers knows that doesn't explain, you know, this kid, I have to get to know this child, mm-hmm. everything about them. And gender is just another, gender is the same way. It's the label that we use for gender is just a word to try to get as close to possible to explain how we identify. So, well, okay. our, our brains are sort of always trying to categorize and make things fit, right? So if the only file folders we have up there are male or female, um, that's where we're going to try and make everybody fit. So just by, right. yeah, you know, just by learning more about the kinds of things you're talking about, Mike, we get more file folders <laughs> right. um, or we start to practice not messing with the file folders in our brain and just looking at what we've got, um, right. you know, here in our, around us. Yeah. Just so to- I think that, oh, that binary thinking, sticks it's almost like we've decided these are the only two terms we're using and then it's like i always describe it as uh, to parents who are f- first finding out that their child identifies as trans that the child already knows and the child's always been right we used to think that adults knew better and we'd say no the child is mixed up the child mm-hmm. is and using those statements from nacy and and other child development statements don't have to just put them under the bus um, <laughs> teachers and parents would be told, oh yeah, you just need to help your child, you know, give him more trucks and he'll realize he's a boy oh, God. or whatever, you know, the, all these crazy things. And of course it turns out that it's not that simple and that the adults are the ones that just need to do more listening, like much of child development. Yes. <laughs> right. What I would add in just as kind of an umbrella statement for any listeners who are new in their understanding understandings of child development. Uh, And either of you, please tell me if I'm not accurate in the way I'm about to say this. Okay. um, What children do come to, in terms of cognitive development, what children are able to do by ages three or four is they begin to start noticing human differences and differences and differentiating things in the world. So by three or four, they start to realize people have different eye shapes and hair textures and skin colors and uh, different, um, I don't want to say reproductive parts. What do we call those things down there? Uh, different genitalia. Genitalia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they do start to become aware and notice those differences. And where NACI or, and those other organizations t- sort of get it wrong is they frame it as something bigger than just differences in, in anatomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And differences in, yeah, because anatomy in general, I feel like that's what a child who's in a, maybe a biracial adoption or, you know, cross um, interracial adoption where they're a different race than their parents. At three, they start to notice, wait, I'm different. What does that mean? Right. How, you know, they're trying to make sense of the difference between their physicalness and other people's physicalness. Um, whether it's genitalia or <clears throat> skin color, eye shape, et cetera. So yeah, I think for sure it's it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I just think our society puts, you know, sort of sex in this box. And we, you know, our pronouns are based on um, our gender. So therefore, you know, we have to know what gender the person is. Uh-huh. God forbid, you know, someone sees a toddler with long hair and says, oh, she's so pretty and finds out it's a boy and then is worried, not that they just use the wrong pronoun, but they use the word pretty to describe mm-hmm. a child. And that somehow- Because that it's not the society. Right. Yeah. Yes. My son yeah. had long hair most of right. his life. Because- He yeah, had that all the time. In a patriarchal, misogynistic <clears throat> society, 
right? Um, the idea of being equated with a female uh, we have in our heads it's is an insult. Insult, yes. Right? So this idea that a boy could be pretty or someone with long hair is accidentally called a girl, and that's an insult, is rooted in misogyny, sexism, and patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I The trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> misogyny, sexism, patriarchy. Yes, and you need someone other than so, Mike and I on your show to talk about those topics. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it so does bring up for talk about oh, the binary later. But Mike, you were I interrupted you earlier, just like I did now, because that's what I do. Um, and um, hey, by the way, I learned this week that that's called cultural overlapping, and that's part of my Jewish heritage. It's not interrupt. You interrupt. Oh, it's cultural, cultural overlapping. overlapping. Yeah. So thank you for mansplaining that for us. <laughs> You're welcome. Richard's the best. No, that was a man's plan. Yeah. I just wanted it for you. Um, but earlier, <laughs> like around the one of the first times I interrupted you, you were going to two different parts around gender. Are you and trying I to bring him back to it? Getting to the second part. Yeah. Okay. So gender identity. So I was talking about biological sex. Um, and then I was saying that there's also a thing called gender. And so gender and and uh, sex are two different things. And, you know, the Supreme Court had to, you know, review. So even the Supreme Court now realizes that the term gender is, uh, means what sex meant back in 1968 <laughs> or whenever the last, or whenever that <clears throat> act was written, right? right? And so the split, um, and I think Gail Rubin is mostly attributed with having that split in the 1970s, she realized there's something about gender. There's something that's about how you identify and who you are that is different than the biological sex. There have been people who did not match those two as far back as we can find, right? So it's not that that wasn't there, but she was the one who came up with a term for it, gender identity. And, um, since then, you know, people started to realize from there, it's like, okay, so if it's a gender identity, now there's transgender. Before there, then the only term people used was transsexual mm-hmm. or cross-dresser to mean all sorts of things. So that idea of gender is, the, is who you identify as. A lot of times people think of it as the brain, right? Who you feel you are, think you are. There's lots of evidence that it, the hormonal balance in your brain <clears throat> corresponds closer to the gender that you feel you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime we talk about gender and get into binary, it's hard because study after study shows that there are more similarities between people from different genders and different sexes than there are that separate the two, right? Mm -hmm. So you're always gonna find people that don't fit any of this. So I'm trying to not use binary language as I talk about this also, but, but gender identity is who you identify as regardless of what your chromosomes are, regardless of what your genitalia is, regardless of your hormones. Although actually the more studies show that hormones might be, have a bigger part in this than the other things, um, then uh, yeah. So gender identity is something that people have and there are studies of transgender adults. Almost everyone interviewed talks about they knew who they were. They knew what gender they were at the age of three, but maybe brought it up once, got the reaction from their parents and never brought it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and some, especially from the old, the older generation, is that a polite way to say that? <laughs> you know, there's plenty of people who are, you know, coming out as trans, mm-hmm in their 60s, 70s, because it's finally, they're finding, oh, I can actually say this now. Mm-hmm. I can actually talk about this now. And this is something I always knew. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And now I'm realizing, no, there was something wrong with society, mm-hmm. right? So gender identity <clears throat> is a separate thing from sex. And the rest of society wants to be able to tell you who you are rather than the person whose identity it is. I guess that is that. I mean, yeah, I think that's great. I could spend yeah. a few hours describing yeah. <laughs> it in more detail, but <clears throat> well, I, I, I'll I'll take this moment, this rare moment of you not speaking, Mike, and, <laughs> and jump in. Um, 
Uh, bah, 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 bah. Oh, you said that uh, often what happens is uh, young children will, will tell them and then it gets dismissed, right? Yeah. But also to just for all of us to remember that young children often don't tell us, they show us in the ways they behave. So yeah. a boy will go to pick up a doll, a girl will go to uh, kick a soccer ball, Mm-hmm. And then they'll be told, oh, no, 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 that's not for you, right? Or they'll get the other reaction, a boy picking up a doll, and everybody fawns very dramatically. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. look at that. You know, like, either way, it's showing there's something wrong with this. Right. Oh, right. right. And when you put it into the context, <clears throat> when you put it into the context of our larger society, right, I want to point out that... Um, this topic is uh, really what po- powerful um, for so many people. They have so much energy attached to the subject of gender. We just saw it in the news. We're recording this yeah. in uh, late February. Yep. Literally in the house yesterday, one of the representatives, Marjorie Taylor Greene, posted a sign that said there are only two genders, male and female in her office. And right. then something about science. Yeah. Like and we, we believe science. 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 So this thing about gender, people <clears throat> have strong, strong opinions yeah. about it. And it's important to notice that and get curious about why that might be so. How did we end up here in this world where that has, we have so much energy mm-hmm. attached to the subject of gender. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting curious about that, you start really looking back into history and understanding. And when you, to, 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 to go toward kind of my next point, when you start looking at binary thinking and you start to notice it all over the place, not just with gender, right? You start to realize that, hum- or I'll say for, I'll speak for me. I started to notice that human beings aren't born thinking black, white, right, wrong, yes, no, boy, girl, Um, but we are enculturated to think in that way. From our earliest days, the grownups around us tend to think in that way, Mm -hmm. this or that. Um, And so that's what we pick up on very early. And so one of the things that I try to teach people is to uh, think along a spectrum instead of notice when you're thinking this is my, the bad child. This is the good child in my class. Um, you know, this is a desirable behavior. That, that is an undesirable behavior. Notice when you start thinking that way and start to look for the grays in the middle and think along a spectrum and it changes. It opens up so many more opportunities for how to help those children or solve problems or just get through life. When you start to notice that you and everyone around you only tends to think in one or the other in binary thinking. Right, and I think that often comes up in the classroom as either typical versus atypical Mm -hmm. or the challenging child and the whatever, no one would say good child, but you know, but that's what they mean. Well, yeah, okay, sorry, (laughs) some do. No one would say, where I work as a supervisor, no one would say in front of me. (laughs) Right, that's because they're scared of you because you're a man. That's right, that's right. But you know, it does bring up that, that idea that yeah, either has to be this or that. I had a parent once whose child in my classroom did great, goes off to kindergarten, is having trouble, you know, special ed is referred, they're thinking maybe it's ADHD, they're waiting for a diagnosis, and the teacher asked her, did you get a diagnosis yet? And she said, no. And she said, oh, because, you know, let me know, because then I'll know what strategies to use. And I love that she said this to him. She said, what if you just treated every child in your classroom like they have ADHD? Which is kind of what my classroom was when I had my own classroom. Um, Well, well, I shouldn't say it that way. There was definitely plenty of room to be quiet, to to do different things. But if you needed to, you know, jump around or wrestle with somebody, you could do that at any, except for nap time, I guess. There was a space to do that, right? You know that I assume that people have needs and they can, if you give them access to meet those needs, they'll do that, whether they're three or 53. Yeah. So that's another thing about the human mind. In addition to tending to think binarily, um, it also craves labels or as uh, Heather spoke about earlier, folders. Uh, It makes life easier when you, from our 
roots as members of the animal kingdom, mm -hmm. when you can quickly say, this is this or this is that, it's safe or it's not safe. And so can you please tell me if the child has ADHD or not? Because once I know, I can enact these strategies. Um, but when you start realizing that, that the logic in that is so off from what's actually real, then you start to say, well, I actually need to give all children supports um, because you know, one of the great things and the biggest challenges of being in early childhood education is um, we're with many children before they get those labels. Mm -hmm. um, we're with so many kids who long, it's not until long after they leave us that someone else says, this child has ADS, this child has a hearing problem. This child has, is not neurotypical or whatever. And so in our world, we have to just assume everyone has something going on individualize what we're doing and give them all the supports they need, not wait for the label to do it. Yeah, and that we have such a hard time. My center is a inclusion center and we get some county funding and trying to track who are the kids that we're getting funding for. Right. So for them, we have to define it. And so we have these sort of definitions of, here's the kids that teachers seem to need help figuring out. And here's the ones that actually qualify for the funding. Right. You know, but how do we use that funding then to pay for teacher, you know, helping teachers with all the children? Because mm -hmm. um, again, yeah, like insurance definitely wants a definition, uh, you know, right. um, diagnoses in that case. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Stephen Jay Gould, I will say, has the best um, essays on this. I can't just pull them up out of my brain right now, but just talking about science in general, the mm -hmm. science of labeling things is only there to help frame your thinking, but they shouldn't create new thinking, right? That you can't, um, and the example he used was, somebody said uh, back in the eighties talking about, well, at least now legalizing marijuana will only be the stuff of, um, or no, legalizing drugs will only be the stuff of cocktail party chatter. And he said, Kind of interesting because people are drinking a drug, <laughs> but you're but you're saying that it's you know not okay, and and also of course history has proven them wrong that, mm -hmm. but it just took a few decades. But just <laughs> that idea that once you say that there's drugs and there's alcohol now, you know there's no basis in in reality for saying one isn't a drug. My father, who was an alcoholic, would always say that like would, would worry about his kids doing drugs, and we're just like dad. You are always drunk. It's right. like, well, that's different. Right, right. <laughs> um, not to get into personal matters here, but <laughs> can you now be my therapist for the next hour? Sure. Weren't we already? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so can I ask you to, um, to, to extend the conversation about um, moving away from non-binary thinking to this conversation that the field is having now about needing more men working in childcare programs or early childhood programs. Well, Heather, let me mansplain this for yeah, you. Would you please? We can't stop thinking about binary thinking when we're thinking <laughs> about teachers because saying that we need more men because we only have women, um, I think it's too simple of a thought and too often then the, the things I read will be these, oh, make it more welcoming to men, you know, make whatever, like make sure that the talk you have in the break room or whatever is open to men. And I'm thinking, I bet there's plenty of women who could care less about what people are talking about at work mm -hmm. and just want to talk about, you know, the UFC match last <laughs> night or the whatever. And then there's other, you know, then there's going to be men who want to talk about, um, you know, the nail party or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Like it's more about having a diversity of people and figuring out you're being inclusive for all types of staff members regardless of gender, I shouldn't say regardless, with them aware, sorry, that's what I should say, awareness of their gender and awareness that there might be some things you don't know. Mm -hmm. Same thing when a staff member <clears throat> comes in and they're using a wheelchair. You might not know what they need, but you also shouldn't assume they need something, right? That it's more about getting to know the person and, and be inclusive with whoever's there. And I think the binary thinking that, okay, now it's a man coming in, so we have to do this. Let's, let's put up a, um, I don't know, a football poster. I don't know what you would do for men feeling welcome. 
but so much of it comes from um from what i the things that i've read um comes from this idea that boys are hard to handle and um so we need to bring in men to get them under control (laughs) um what and to model for them and to model for them um male behavior looks like right but so i think you know in actuality it's we could be talking about active children need teachers who understand and accept and provide for that kind of play and not necessarily um we need more penises in here right 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 yeah Um, we can save that for my apartment no um (laughs) what yeah i'm not dismissing it Um, (laughs) there's a time and place for more penises and this was not it mike sorry um what i was gonna what i would add to that is i was telling you the other day mike about when i was a young preschool and kindergarten teacher and of course the only male in the school that was in the late 80s early 90s and the waiting lists to get into my class were so long Mm -hmm. um every mom particularly moms of boys and subset of that particularly divorced moms or single moms wanted their children in my class because they felt that their children lacked a male figure in their lives and that I could, my gender could- You were gonna macho them them up? (laughs) Right, right. And hello, it's me, that wasn't gonna happen. So, um, you know, at the beginning of the year in the open house, I would say to them, now I'm aware that a lot of you are in this class, I suspect because of my gender. And you you thought that that was gonna be my biggest contribution to your child. But I want to I want to talk a little bit more about um, how we're going to learn through play and how I'm going to facilitate your children's learning and how I'm not going to be teaching them their letters, numbers, colors, and shapes, because that's probably more critical to you. That's going to have more of an impact on your child's life than my gender. So it's not too late to switch classes. <laughs> it's really important you understand my philosophy of this classroom because that's more important than my gender. And if that doesn't work for you. I understand the teacher across the hall has got three more slots in her classroom. And at the same time, to not think binary about this, mm-hmm. the representation is important. I think of my own child was in my preschool um, and one of the teachers was non-binary. Um, I had to make up a name quickly, uh, so we'll call them K. <laughs> and whatever, and K actually would, sometimes be a babysitter as well uh, for my child. But then when my child was 10, they suddenly started asking me, so remember that teacher K? They use they uh, as their pronoun, right? And so, yeah. And, and we talked about it. It's like, oh, okay. And then the next day they're asking about him. And it's like, okay, you're 10. Why are you, you know, how's this coming up? And finally said, yeah, I think I'm, and they had some uh, gender neutral. That was the term I child used at the time, having not looked through the internet for other terminology, but immediately found the one term that they've seen, gender, oh, I'm gender neutral too, just like K. And so that representation was important. And I think, Heather, your conversation about tattoos, that teachers should be able to show their tattoos because that type of representation is important. So Mm -hmm. it's not the only thing about a person. It's not the defining thing about a person. And I think that's important that people shouldn't choose a classroom just because of that representation. And yet it's also important to have a diverse staff. Mm-hmm. So, um, which goes right back to your question, Heather, of how <laughs> do we get more men in early childhood? And I think Richard had it with, this, was it the patriarchy? Uh, what was it? Sexism, patriarchy, and misogyny. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, that's that's the problem. When it's a low paying field with low yeah. um, status, mm-hmm. uh, not that I almost feel like the way to get men involved is to talk about the equity lens and how this is a great way to make the world more equitable and things, and you'll attract the right men. Mm-hmm. You might not get the man who's like, well, yeah, but I want to be the one in charge. Yeah. The other piece to that, though, is, um, you know, again, everything we do in our field exists in the, we're just a subculture of human culture, right? So it's important to notice that we're men and women, boys and girls are raised in a society still where we're 
we're taught that men should be the primary breadwinners in the family. Mm -hmm. And so when males feel that that's their responsibility, I've heard this too many times, yeah. they, they'll say, well, I can't get into early childhood because I've got to make the money. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the reason for not doing something their heart is drawn to. Yeah. Um, but can I, I want to go back really quickly, Mike, for a minute. Yeah. Because, um, because not everyone listening to this podcast may know all the terms that we three are comfortable with and throwing yeah. around so so easily. So could you, you used a term earlier, could you define it for people? Non-binary, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah, <laughs> so non-binary um, is sort of an umbrella gender identity term, um, but basically means the person does not identify as a man or a woman, Yeah, male or female. Um, there's lots of other terminology that people use to be more specific about it. Um, Non-binary tends to be the term used just in the general public, but then when they're say on dating apps or something, they might be even more specific and use terms such as demigirl or things where it gets a little more defined or you know, uh, being masculine presenting and things like that, that there's, there can be more detail, but non-binary just simply means the person is not identifying mm -hmm. as one of the two genders that um, Representative Green, is that her name? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would tell you about. Right. So, and, and people who, who identify as non-binary frequently use uh, they, them, singular, you know, as their pronouns. Right. Uh, and that also seems to really upset people people who use the pronoun you to mean both <laughs> just you, Heather, and you as in Heather and Richard. Yeah, use yep. it singular and plural all the time. But they, that's that's where we cross, you know, that's that's fighting words there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Heather, what's been your experience of men in early childhood? <laughs> um, very limited. I mean, I have... Um... You Mike, is that it? No, <laughs> when I was the a center director, I had one. Uh, well, I've had I had a couple men who worked for me, um, and they identified as male. So I feel like I can say they were men working for me, um, and they were they were fine. You know, it was just another staff member, but um, parents were really. Like I had parents request that the the man not ever change a diaper or not ever be alone. Um, and that really wore on both of them that just knowing that there were people that they wanted to have a trusting relationship with who were looking at them with suspicion. Um, I had a, an, another one um, who just like you were talking about with the, the bo little boy who chooses a doll and everybody fawning over him. Um, I've seen that too with men who work in childcare they're you're this special kind of unicorn and um it's so wonderful that you're choosing this which sends a message a sort of an unconscious message or an implicit message is that what i want to say um that there is something weird about it um even though we're right. praising him for it it's still a little weird <laughs> and i think it's be i think part of it is because people aren't explicit like if someone just said you know i haven't met a male preschool teacher before or toddler mm -hmm. teacher, whatever, that is honest and can be disarming. But to just sort of, oh, it's so nice to meet you. It's so good to see you here. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel genuine because then it is the tokenism, right? They're only right. seeing my one thing about me. Right. They're not saying it's so great to see you here because um, you uh, think that play is the best way for children to learn. You don't think it's great that I'm here because I know a lot of songs to sing with kids <laughs> uh, you know it's oh I, again going back to like oh there's a penis in the room <laughs> right like yeah, it just how wonderful <laughs> how wonderful Wait, and if they would just say that it, and that would get really weird yeah fast. that might be but weird. it already did yeah <laughs> that ship has sailed Mike but, but I think just just being able to say I haven't experienced and you know it's the I statements too mm -hmm. right yeah. Oh, I haven't worked with someone from, you know, West Africa before. Uh -huh. um, if we're talking too fast, you know, if there's things you need, because like I tend to talk fast yeah. and interrupt people when it's an English language 
um, you know, English is their third or fourth language, people are often like, whoa, wait, what did you say? Can you slow down? Yeah. And I can slow down for about two minutes before I speed <laughs> up again. But being aware of that, that's something that um, with the particular teacher I was thinking of, that was what she needed mostly, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, other than that, and she also wouldn't, um, she had a way of like not directly in meetings, had a hard time with our American style of bringing uh, things up right in front of everyone. Uh-huh. And so I've learned that the next morning I had to go into her classroom before things started. And then she would tell me yeah. um, what she was thinking. And then we'd bring it back. And we, the, the whole, it was a teacher collective. We were a hippie center, you know, like everybody <laughs> knew that that was going to happen. They'd wait to kind of, uh-huh. um, and then it's okay. Do you want to tell everyone? Do you want me to tell everyone? You know, she, but we had to create a different way of discussion because the rest of us were grew up in America and um, we're used to like, you, you talk and the person who lasts the longest essentially <laughs> made the decision. And is and anyone else arguing with you at things, the end? We mentioned earlier, that tends to be males. Yeah. They yep. will not talk anyone to, to have the last word. Are you trying to contradict us, Heather? I see that look. Yeah, why are you face. looking at us, Heather, <clears throat> when I say that? Um, because you're the only two on my screen oh, to okay. look at. But right. also, I feel like I could out-talk whoever you I'm in like the meeting what? with. I could out-talk whoever I'm in the meeting with. That's true. You can. Well, see, here, here it is. We shouldn't have the binary. It's not, it's not all men yeah. who can out-talk, <laughs> yeah. and it's not always men who can out-talk. <laughs> yes, I've, I've often been told I'm a special case. So maybe that's what it is. Well, I do have to say, uh, <laughs> my partner mentioned recently, like, why is it early childhood podcast? There's so many men. <laughs> like, if there's no men in the field, why do do? Why men are they all do doing podcasts? the podcast? Well, that's oh. a question. And I think it's about the talking thing that men tend to be. Oh, everyone should hear what I have to say. Uh-huh. I I clearly feel that way, you know, <laughs> which. I hate to admit, but it's true. I don't need everyone to agree with me, but I feel like, you know. You should all hear me. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to go back for just a moment and just follow up on Heather's anecdote about uh, the men you worked with. Yeah. Uh, Just because it happened to me too. And I thought I'd share that so that Mm -hmm. your listeners know it's not just the one time in Heather's world that it happens (laughs) all the time. Mm -hmm. So when I was a young teacher, it happened to me twice. Um, in the beginning, I was going to college and in the taking classes in the morning. And then I was a a half day teacher, infant toddler preschool in the afternoons and then waiting tables at night. And, um, I got to work one day and the director sat me down and said, um, well, this thing happened. You weren't even here when it happened. Um, but two of the toddlers were in the bathroom and they played, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And um, so we're having an emergency parent meeting um, because the parents are flipped out that it happened. And we just think until the storm blows over, it would be best if you didn't change any diapers. Oh boy. Uh, You weren't even there, it has nothing to do with you, but because you're a man, let's keep you from changing diapers for a while. Um, Actually it happened to me three times. And then fast forward another year, that was in St. Louis. Then in Los Angeles, again, uh, I was going to Pacific Oaks, uh, came to work, I don't know, later in the day or a different day and got taken aside by the boss who said yesterday in the kindergarten classroom, not even yours, two kids were playing, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Actually, they took aside me and the other male who was the gym teacher. And they said, for the time being, um, we're gonna ask you not to have children sit on your laps. Um, until this blows over. Okay. Now fast forward to 2019. After all my years in these big leadership positions, I finally had the chance to go back and be a preschool teacher again in St. Louis when I went back there because my mom was sick and I moved back home. And uh, I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to be a preschool teacher again. And before the school year ever started, the directors introduced me to the rest of the staff in our pre-service training. Uh, I was one of three, we were a trio of teachers in the preschool room, in the pre-K room, uh, me and two young women. And they said, this is Richard, he's our new preschool teacher, but don't worry, he won't be changing any diapers. Oh, uh, God. He's a man. <laughs> and my two co-teachers were like, 
wait, what? Are you kidding me? We're going to have to change all the diapers. And I was like, yeah, and they're looking at you like you yeah. jerk. Yeah. Well, and she had just gotten through telling all of us how she is a huge feminist and that is her <laughs> big passion in life is women's rights. And I was like, um, okay, so you missed a step in there somewhere. Yeah. Women Why? have the right to I change literally all wrote the diapers. The steps to diaper changing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that we put out from DC, from NACRA. Mm -hmm. You're going to not have me change diapers? What? Right. So I immediately started looking for another job. And quit yeah, there. and I'm going to throw in one story too, even though it clearly that's that's plenty of evidence. But I had a, um, I don't know, one of the coolest things in my career really was one time this teacher applied to be, well, I guess a substitute. They he had just finished his um, associate's degree, but he is someone I taught as a preschooler. Oh my goodness. And, and, and actually like parents keep telling me that there's a lot of kids that I taught that went into teaching of some sort. Awesome. Um, I also had a special ed, uh, someone who came in as a coach from the school district, special ed coach. And um, it was someone I had taught also, but, <laughs> and <laughs> she took some special attention when she was a preschooler too. No, but this, so this, this um, young man just got his associate's degree, started working with the kids and the kids would do what kids do of sort of like when he'd walk by, they'd like spank his butt and say <laughs> something. And he didn't know how to react because he was too worried that people would think that he was trying to get them to do, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And he also didn't want to come out as too harsh, like being like the, the, the angry man or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, and um, I was just switching jobs. So I would, I saw him start and then like a month later, the director, you know, called it, Mike, could you come in and just talk to him? Cause he's really feeling like he's just going to leave the field. And so I came in like two different times to try to like coach him about, you know, how to be, let kids know your boundaries without being explosive, but also, you know, just doing that. And it happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't honestly say that other people aren't going to view that as different than if they did it to a, female teacher, mm -hmm. but you know, he was, he was what, 20, 21. He was totally new to the field. Right. He was still trying to figure out how you, that balance of how you do get kids to do what you want without, you know, whatever, you know, you don't get walked over, but you don't yeah. all, you don't yeah. like scream at them. And um, he couldn't, I'm pretty sure he left. I actually don't mm -hmm. know. It's been a few years now. I don't know mm -hmm. if he ever went back, but um, yeah, it happens. And of course, the person who's teaching knows that there's perceptions too. So that sure. makes it hard. Yeah. I want to make sure we actually talk about your question though. Okay. <laughs> at some point in here. Well, I think all this is part of your question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I feel the other part is, you know, that men who go into the field do have to take some responsibility too. Yes, there's going to be that perception. But also I feel like men do want to be the center of the universe often. <laughs> Here I am getting all binary and explaining. I know it's men is one thing, but I feel like in our society, people would always take my idea seriously. Yes. Right. And so even like when I went into early childhood, been in the field three years, and people are asking me my opinion on something. <laughs> now, part of it is I'm a, I was a nerd and you know, read a lot and stuff. Yeah. But still, it's like there's people around here who've been working with kids longer than me. Like, but you know, making sure that I'm heard. I've never, and even though some of my ideas are a little stretching ECE with rough and tumble play and all that, uh -huh. it's still like, I know people are going to listen to me. And honestly, when I first started doing, I made sure I didn't wear nail, nail polish and I wore like, you know, business attire as I'm telling people. Man clothes. Crazy things, man clothes. <laughs> yeah, essentially drag for me. Uh, and, you know, and as I got more, confident in my state, in my message and people, you know, I had a book and things. So uh -huh. I could, then I, I worried less about that, but, um, but there is something when you go into a field and everyone else, you're the only man in the room and you've been used to people listening to you. Like you got to get used to like, not every, you know, you don't have the floor all the time. Uh -huh. And there may be a meeting where you don't say anything <laughs> the entire meeting. Wow. Um, I know, which yeah. <laughs> admittedly didn't happen to me in other worlds, you know? Uh -huh. So 
I think that's the other thing. Like the other side of it is that right. the way culture men are prepared, not just be a, a, a the breadwinner, but also that they're the one always listened to. And mm -hmm. in some, and even that it's a sign of leadership to make sure your voice is heard in a meeting. Right. And so really I think that's another that. thing that's important. What Richard? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying, I'm really glad you brought that up, Mike, because I can imagine some of Heather's listeners listening to this or watching the po video podcast and saying, oh man, a couple of white males whining about how hard it is for them. And, you know, yes, you weren't allowed to have kids sit on your lap and you couldn't change diapers. But I, so I just want to be really clear that, um, yeah, although we mentioned some downsides or whatever, some cautionary tales about being an, a male in our field, it lives within this greater culture where our privileges are so deeply ingrained and so powerful mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I just want to make sure we acknowledge that, uh, the, the power that we have. Um, and also just to sort of validate what you said, I, I noticed it too over the course of almost 40 years now. Um, I would be in many conversations, even in like these large national and international leadership, early childhood leadership organizations. I was still the only man around the table, but it was weird when I would say something, everyone would be quiet and listen. And more often than not, they'd go, oh yeah, let's do what he says. And I started like noticing that and like, is that my gender? What, why is there, why is everyone according me with that? I, I think it's because we're all trained to think the man knows something. Mm -hmm. And I, I would have to very explicitly interrupt that in groups I was yeah. in because we're only going to come up with better solutions if we're hearing diverse opinions. Don't just go with mine because I'm the male, even if you're only doing that on a subconscious level. Um, let's cut that out. Mm -hmm. you know? um, <clears throat> Heather, do we have time for me to go down one other related <laughs> tangential rabbit hole? You're the one on the time schedule today. Uh, that's true. Um, <laughs> I, I know I'm editing these into two parts, but I think we've passed that yeah. point. <laughs> um, well, we talked about um, gender or sex, and we talked about gender identity. Um, but to further complicate things, then it, it, there's a related topic of sexual orientation, which is different than gender, uh -huh. right? But um, it it has meant that my experience has been quite different from many of my straight male early childhood colleagues um, because that comes into play, right? Is, is sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I've noticed over the 40 years is that when I was a young teacher, um, of course this was in the late eighties, early nineties. And when I was um, openly out about being gay, it was at the height of the AIDS epidemic and uh, also, you know, I, I would like to hopefully say toward the end of centuries of um, the pedophilia mythology that uh, being homosexual means you're a pedophile. And so I was hyper aware of those concerns and I would address them straight up with my families in that open house. And I would just say, you know, the most important thing is that you leave your children, when you leave your children to go to work every day, you can concentrate on your job and focus because you know your children are safe in my care. So as awkward as this is gonna be and you're gonna hate it, I'm gonna <laughs> go around and look each of you in the eye and I want you to know I am not a pedophile. Oh um, and it would freak people, oh my God, Richard, we never thought that about you. I know, yeah. but subconsciously in case it's there, I wanted to just say it so you can mm -hmm. sleep easily knowing now, the next thing is we have to build trust so you can trust what I just said, but um, I wanted to at least put that out there. Hmm. And now what I notice in more recent years, particularly in my last role as a director uh, and my straight male staff, they're the ones, now. I, I, this is just my anecdotal, what I noticed, I don't know that there's statistics around it, but it seems like nowadays, uh, gay males are in early childhood are less uh, suspect and people are tending to be more nervous about straight males changing diapers mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And I'm not quite sure what that means or how it happened. It's just something I, I think I noticed. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad well, there's you another shared. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I just had, okay. 
a brain spasm or something. What did you say, Mike? Oh, I, I, I was going to say, I'm, well, no. But one, one thing that it brings up for me is just that idea that I think in, um, that people in any sort of gender minority or sexual minority already break the sort of uh, notions of what being masculine is and things. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, in some ways I feel like our field is probably has more men in the field who are gay than in the general population, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of like those men are more likely to sort of, like I already threw out some ideas of, you know, what society thinks men should do. Uh. And, but, cause I think there's, there's plenty of straight men who would also care for kids and uh-huh. also want to be in that, but at the same time are worried about the perception of what they're doing and um, from a personal level. And again, that's where I feel like men just need to get over it, right? Uh-huh. That, that's one side of it is men just need to get over that. And like, yeah, you can care about kids and caring for kids. I just have to, this is kind of a rabbit hole, but we won't go down there because Heather and I have had this conversation <laughs> that rough and tumble play is a form of caring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whether it's a man doing it, a woman doing it, um, someone who's non-binary, whoever is roughhousing with kids, that's caring for kids mm-hmm. because it, it's um, healthy for kids. It's uh, It helps with their social skills. It's fun. It's joyful. Mm-hmm. It um, meets a need that they It have. meets a need. Yeah. And sometimes there's that perception too, right? That if you play rough with kids, it's not um, not caring. That there's mm-hmm. like this caring side and that's what women do. And then there's this, you know, discipline side or something. That's what yes. men do or something. And yes. like, um, <laughs> I think whenever, once you can break that binary, like men, it's easier for men to be in the field if they, if they aren't thinking in those terms. And it's easier if, you know, women, again, we have to smash the patriarchy for all this. I right. Think, but, right. But part of it is that, that notion. And I feel like the people who do get into the field, um, not, you know, tend to be people who have at least broken that notion, whether it's because their sexual orientation sort of forced them to do that because they're either going to hate themselves or they're going to see society as wrong, mm-hmm. you know, but straight men could certainly do the same thing, right. That realize, oh, I don't have to be whatever, the mm-hmm. tough guy, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to mansplain what this dude just said. Because you're, now, you're just about, uh, <laughs> now you're just gay-splaining. Now you're just gay-splaining. I, I want to gay-splain. No. <laughs> no, it really is more, I don't know. It's person-splaining. Okay. I don't know. Person's but anyway, when Mike and I talked about this very topic the other day before to prepare for, we were supporting each other on how to deal with Heather and, you know, it was, we knew it was going to be tough. It's tricky, you um, know. But what you, the way you said it the other day, Mike, really resonated with me, um, which was, we're here to meet children's needs. We're here to observe them, build relationships with them, and give them what they each individually need, which can change from moment to moment or day to day. So if you're seeing that a child wants to rough and tumble play, that's why you respond in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's an expression of caring. And yeah. it, you don't just rough and tumble every kid. You right. see who wants or needs that. And then that's what you give them out of your care. Yep. And the kid who wants to play with the doll, you make sure they have enough dolls and yeah. you play with them. <laughs> and you play with them with dolls. Right. And yeah. it, again, it, regardless of gender. And the same is true, yeah, that women could also rough house with, because um, I think that's a bias. I think in a field that's not necessarily gender related. I think mm-hmm. a woman roughhousing the other teachers would also say, hey, that's too rough. Sure. Um, well, and I think the other way to get out of the binary on this topic is to just frame it around consent. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's really, it doesn't matter for you, the teacher, what your gender or gender identity is. It's about modeling for children and teaching them that, you know, no one gets to touch you unless you say it's okay. So if I'm going to roughhouse with you, I'm, gonna, I'm always going to ask you first. And I love you whether you say yes or no. Um, you know, so. And tickling is a type of, of roughhousing or rough and tumble as well. Yeah. So we'll just, we'll just take this minute to remind people that Mike has an article about consent in preschool from, from a past issue of exchange. We did do a episode. (laughs) We did an episode. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. 
And if you want to hear me talk more about it, come to my living room. <laughs> There's a pandemic, Richard. No one's coming oh, right. to Never your mind. living room. Call me. Call him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, that, I think we should wrap this up. I know, Richard, you've got to get on the road anyway. Um, but this was great. I know we could have gone on and on, so maybe there'll be a follow-up episode at some point. Um, I've made a list of things I want to get back to with you guys, either recorded or not recorded. Um, Note to pod to uh, nerd listeners, yeah. Heather always loses her lists. <laughs> That's true. So don't get your hopes up that we're going to come back to anything on her list. <laughs> God damn it, Richard. <laughs> or if we say we're going to talk about it, we might talk about something else. Right. That might That's be the other. first 10 minutes of the episode and then it's all over the place. Also, I need to mention that I bought um, that book you were using, Mike, while you guys were talking. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Um, so that this has been a very um, constructive, productive recording session for me. Um, all right. Thank you both for... Um, for straightening me out when I had the initial idea and you thought it could go deeper, um, but also just for taking time to talk talk uh, about this and to help uh, me understand some of it. And I, I know the listeners will um, get a lot out of it too. I've never straightened anyone out in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and I would think less of you if you did, so. Uh. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, uh, this is fun though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to hit end here because Richard's got to get on the road. Bye, everyone. Um, so thanks Bye. for being here both. Thanks uh, everyone for listening and we'll see you again on another episode. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.